Chapter Ten of Volume Two of the Mysterious Island. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mysterious Island by Jules Verne, translated by William Henry Giles Kingston, Volume Two, Chapter Ten. When Pencroft had once got a plan in his head, he had no peace till it was executed. Now he wished to visit Tabor Island, and as a boat of a certain size was necessary for this voyage, he determined to build one. What wood should he employ? Elm or fir, both of which abounded in the island. They decided for the fir, as being easy to work, but which stands water as well as the elm these details settled it was agreed that since the fine season would not return before six months cyrus harding and pencroft should work alone at the boat gideon spilett and herbert were to continue to hunt and neither neb nor master jup his assistant were to leave the domestic duties which had devolved upon them directly the trees were chosen they were felled stripped of their branches and sawn into planks as well as sawyers would have been able to do it a week after in the recess between the chimneys and the cliff a dockyard was prepared and a keel five and thirty feet long furnished with a stern post at the stern and a stem at the bows lay along the sand cyrus harding was not working in the dark at this new trade he knew as much about shipbuilding as about nearly everything else and he had at first drawn the model of his ship on paper besides he was ably seconded by pencroft who having worked for several years in the dockyard in brooklyn knew the practical part of the trade it was not until after careful calculation and deep thought that the timbers were laid on the keel pencroft as may be believed was all eagerness to carry out his new enterprise and would not leave his work for an instant a single thing had the honour of drawing him but for one day only from his dockyard this was the second wheat harvest which was gathered in on the fifteenth of april it was as much a success as the first and yielded the number of grains which had been predicted five bushels captain said pencroft after having scrupulously measured his treasure five bushels replied the engineer and a hundred and thirty thousand grains a bushel will make six hundred and fifty thousand grains well we will sow them all this time said the sailor except a little in reserve yes pencroft and if the next crop gives a proportionate yield we shall have four thousand bushels and we shall eat bread we shall eat bread but we must have a mill we will make one the third cornfield was very much larger than the two first and the soil prepared with extreme care received the precious seed that done pencroft returned to his work during this time spilett and herbert hunted in the neighbourhood and they ventured deep into the still unknown parts of the far west their guns loaded with ball ready for any dangerous emergency it was a vast thicket of magnificent trees crowded together as if pressed for room 
the exploration of these dense masses of wood was difficult in the extreme and the reporter never ventured there without the pocket compass for the sun scarcely pierced through the thick foliage and it would have been very difficult for them to retrace their way it naturally happened that game was more rare in these situations where there was hardly sufficient room to move two or three large herbivorous animals were however killed during the last fortnight of april these were koalas specimens of which the settlers had already seen to the north of the lake and which stupidly allowed themselves to be killed among the thick branches of the trees in which they took refuge their skins were brought back to granite house and there by the help of sulphuric acid they were subjected to a sort of tanning process which rendered them capable of being used on the thirtieth of april the two sportsmen were in the depth of the far west when the reporter preceding herbert a few paces arrived in a sort of clearing into which the trees more sparsely scattered had permitted a few rays to penetrate gideon spilett was at first surprised at the odor which exhaled from certain plants with straight stalks round and branchy bearing grape-like clusters of flowers and very small berries the reporter broke off one or two of these stalks and returned to the lad to whom he said what can this be herbert well mr spilett said herbert this is a treasure which will secure you pencroft's gratitude forever is it tobacco yes and though it may not be of the first quality it is none the less tobacco oh good old pencroft won't he be pleased but we must not let him smoke at all he must give us our share ah an idea occurs to me mr spilett replied herbert don't let us say anything to pencroft yet we will prepare these leaves and one fine day we will present him with a pipe already filled all right herbert and on that day our worthy companion will have nothing left to wish for in this world the reporter and the lad secured a good store of the precious plant and then returned to granite house where they smuggled it in with as much precaution as if pencroft had been the most vigilant and severe of custom-house officers cyrus harding and neb were taken into confidence and the sailor suspected nothing during the whole time necessarily somewhat long which was required in order to dry the small leaves chop them up and subject them to a certain torification on hot stones this took two months but all these manipulations were successfully carried on unknown to pencroft for occupied with the construction of his boat he only returned to granite house at the hour of rest for some days they had observed an enormous animal two or three miles out in the open sea swimming around lincoln island this was a whale of the largest size which apparently belonged to the southern species called the cape whale what a lucky chance it would be if we could capture it cried the sailor ah if we only had a proper boat and a good harpoon i would say after the beast for he would be well worth the trouble of catching well pencroft observed harding i should much like to watch you handling a harpoon it would be very interesting i am astonished said the reporter to see a whale in this comparatively high latitude why so mr spilett replied herbert 
we are exactly in that part of the pacific which english and american whalemen call the whale field and it is here between new zealand and south america that the whales of the southern hemisphere are met with in the greatest numbers and pencroft returned to his work not without uttering a sigh of regret for every sailor is a born fisherman and if the pleasure of fishing is in exact proportion to the size of the animal one can judge how a whaler feels in sight of a whale and if this had only been for pleasure but they could not help feeling how valuable such a prize would have been to the colony for the oil fat and bones would have been put to many uses now it happened that this whale appeared to have no wish to leave the waters of the island therefore whether from the windows of granite house or from prospect heights herbert and gideon spilett when they were not hunting or neb and lust presiding over his fires never left the telescope but watched all the animal's movements the cetacean having entered far into union bay made rapid furrows across it from mandible cape to claw cape propelled by its enormously powerful flukes on which it supported itself and making its way through the water at the rate little short of twelve knots an hour sometimes it also approached so near to the island that it could be clearly distinguished it was the southern whale which is completely black the head being more depressed than that of the northern whale they could also see it throwing up from its air holes to a great height the cloud of vapour or of water for strange as it may appear naturalists and whalers are not agreed on this subject is it air or is it water which is thus driven out it is generally admitted to be vapour which condensing suddenly by contact with the cold air falls again as rain however the presence of this mammifer preoccupied the colonists it irritated pencroft especially as he could think of nothing else while at work he ended by longing for it like a child for a thing which has been denied at night he talked about it in his sleep and certainly if he had had the means of attacking it if the sloop had been in a fit state to put to sea he would not have hesitated to set out in pursuit but what the colonists could not do for themselves chance did for them and on the third of may shouts from neb who had stationed himself at the kitchen window announced that the whale was stranded on the beach of the island herbert and gideon spilett who were just about to set out hunting left their guns pencroft threw down his axe and harding and neb joining their companions all rushed towards the scene of the action the stranding had taken place on the beach of flotsam point three miles from granite house and at high tide it was therefore probable that the cetacean would not be able to extricate itself easily at any rate it was best to hasten so as to cut off its retreat if necessary they ran with pickaxes and iron-tipped poles in their hands passed over the mercy bridge descended the right bank of the river along the beach and in less than twenty minutes the settlers were close to the enormous animal above which flocks of birds already hovered what a monster cried neb and the exclamation was natural for it was a southern whale eighty feet long a giant of the species 
probably not weighing less than a hundred and fifty thousand pounds. In the meantime, the monster thus stranded did not move, nor attempt by struggling to regain the water while the tide was still high. It was dead, and a harpoon was sticking out of its left side. "'There are whalers in these quarters, then?' said Gideon Spilett directly. "'Oh, Mr. Spilett, that doesn't prove anything,' replied Pencroft. "'Whales have been known to go thousands of miles with a harpoon in the side.' and this one might even have been struck in the north of the atlantic and come to die in the south of the pacific and it would be nothing astonishing pencroft having torn the harpoon from the animal's side read this inscription on it maria stella vineyard a vessel from the vineyard a ship from my country he cried the maria stella a fine whaler upon my word i know her well oh my friends a vessel from the vineyard a whaler from the vineyard and the sailor brandishing the harpoon repeated not without emotion the name which he loved so well the name of his birthplace but as it could not be expected that the maria stella would come to reclaim the animal harpooned by her they resolved to begin cutting it up before decomposition should commence the birds, who had watched this rich prey for several days, had determined to take possession of it without further delay, and it was necessary to drive them off by firing at them repeatedly. The whale was a female, and a large quantity of milk was taken from it, which, according to the opinion of the naturalist Dufenbach, might pass for cow's milk, and, indeed, it differs from it neither in taste, color, nor density. Pencroft had formerly served on board a whaling ship, and he could methodically direct the operation of cutting up, a sufficiently disagreeable operation lasting three days, but from which the settlers did not flinch, not even Gideon Spilett, who, as the sailors said, would end by making a real good castaway. The blubber, cut in parallel slices of two feet and a half in thickness, then divided into pieces which might weigh about a thousand pounds each, was melted down in large earthen pots brought to the spot, for they did not wish to taint the environs of Granite House, and in this fusion it lost nearly a third of its weight. But there was an immense quantity of it. The tongue alone yielded six thousand pounds of oil, and the lower lip four thousand then besides the fat which would ensure for a long time a store of stearine and glycerin there were still the bones for which a use could doubtless be found although there were neither umbrellas nor stays used at granite house the upper part of the mouth of the cetacean was indeed provided on both sides with eight hundred horny blades very elastic of a fibrous texture and fringed at the edge like great combs at which the teeth six feet long served to retain the thousands of animaclui little fish and mollusks on which the whale fed the operation finished to the great satisfaction of the operators the remains of the animal were left to the birds who would soon make every vestige of it disappear and their usual daily occupations were resumed by the inmates of granite house however before returning to the dockyard cyrus harding conceived the idea of fabricating certain machines which greatly excited the curiosity of his companions 
He took a dozen of the whale's bones, cut them into six equal parts, and sharpened their ends. This machine is not my own invention, and it is frequently employed by the Aleutian hunters in Russia and America. You see these bones, my friends. Well, when it freezes, I will bend them, and then wet them with water till they are entirely covered with ice, which will keep them bent, and I will strew them on the snow, having previously covered them with fat. Now what will happen if a hungry animal swallows one of these baits? Why, the heat of his stomach will melt the ice, and the bone, springing straight, will pierce him with its sharp points. Well, I do call that ingenious, said Pencroft. And it will spare the powder and shot, rejoined Cyrus Harding. That will be better than traps, added Neb. In the meanwhile, the boat building progressed, and towards the end of the month, half the planking was completed. It could already be seen that her shape was excellent and that she would sail well. Pencroft worked with unparalleled ardor, and only a sturdy frame could have borne such fatigue, but his companions were preparing in secret a reward for his labors, and on the 31st of May he was to meet with one of the greatest joys of his life. On that day, after dinner, just as he was about to leave the table, Pencroft felt a hand on his shoulder. It was the hand of Gideon Spilett, who said, "'One moment, Master Pencroft, you mustn't sneak off like that. You've forgotten your dessert.' "'Thank you, Mr. Spilett,' replied the sailor. "'I am going back to my work.' "'Well, a cup of coffee, my friend?' "'Nothing more.' "'A pipe, then?' Pencroft jumped up and his great good-natured face grew pale when he saw the reporter presenting him with a ready-filled pipe and herbert with a glowing coal the sailor endeavoured to speak but could not get out a word so seizing the pipe he carried it to his lips then applying the coal he drew five or six great whiffs a fragrant blue cloud soon arose and from its depths a voice was heard repeating excitedly tobacco real tobacco yes pencroft returned cyrus harding and very good tobacco too o oh, divine providence sacred author of all things cried the sailor nothing more is now wanting to our island and pencroft smoked and smoked and smoked and who made this discovery he asked at length you herbert no doubt no pencroft it was mr spilett mr spilett exclaimed the sailor seizing the reporter and clasping him to his breast with such a squeeze that he had never felt anything like it before oh pencroft said spilett recovering his breath at last a truce for one moment you must share your gratitude with herbert who recognized the plant with cyrus who prepared it and with neb who took a great deal of trouble to keep our secret well my friends i will repay you some day replied the sailor now we are friends for life end of chapter ten